0: And welcome to Lupus LA's Your Story, Our Fight podcast. I'm Adam Selkowitz, and I want to thank our sponsors at GSK Pharmaceutical. Today we're interviewing Jacqueline Stewart. Hi, Jacqueline, how are you? Good. So, Jacqueline is a lupus patient, of course, because everybody on this podcast uh, to date has been a lupus patient, and uh, we're in the 20s now, so that's exciting, and um, you're a caseworker in adult services, but there's there's a lot more to your story, and I think, um, I think what's really interesting about your journey is how much you struggled to finish your schooling, and I, we're going to get to that, and we're going to talk about that, but I think... I found that part of your story really uh, inspirational, and I, I think ben- it'll be real beneficial to our audience. So why don't you take me back? Tell me kind of the beginning, how it started, how you how you were first diagnosed.
1: Okay, so it's, it's kind of long, so I'll try to condense it. Um, I first started, I graduated high school, and I decided to take a year off before I went to college just to save some money. So I ended up getting a job. At my local government and while i was there um my hands started swelling up and i was like this is odd i just thought i was on the computer too much so eventually um it went away and i was like okay fine it went away so um i stopped working there and i started school but during my break between school and um the work i started working out a lot um i was probably working out one about an hour every day Mm -hmm. for like six six days a week so i started feeling Um, pain everywhere in my body. And I was like, oh, it's probably just because I'm working out too much. But the pain would come and go. But eventually the pain just stayed. And eventually I started noticing swelling with the the pain. So I was like, okay, this isn't normal. So I went to the doctor. The doctor diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of shocked because I was like, I thought only old people get arthritis, <laughs> but you know I, I, that's a misconception everyone has. Most well, not everyone, but most people have. So he's like, well, well, send you to a rheumatologist and you'll be fine. I was like, okay. But during this time, I also lost my health insurance, so it was hard to go to the doctor mm-hmm. as well. So she wanted to run all these tests and they were costing thousands of dollars, and I couldn't afford it because I was a college student and my parents weren't really um financially. Been, i've been able to pay for this as well so um getting me diagnosed was kind of hard because of that but i started getting worse um so did you sorry, started.
0: i just want to cut in there because I, I think that's also a really interesting topic that we haven't really delved into so so how did you handle that in the moment was it we'll just wait or or did you try to work with were there were there agencies that were helpful to you were you know how did you navigate yes. that
1: it was really hard because my my parents are Spanish speakers; they don't speak any English. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had to advocate for myself, and I was very sick, so it was very hard to do that. And I would have my mom call like uh, MediCal; it's in California's MediCal. Yeah. But they kept getting denied because things kept coming up on their system, and my parents were like, we don't have that. And then they're like, but it's coming up on our system, so you need to turn it in. And they were like, but I'm just trying to get. Um, insurance for my daughter. And they are like, well, you still need to turn it in. So it was very hard. And so the first time I went, uh, I got really, I started getting super sick. And then my mom, one day she's like, you don't look well. And I was like, yeah, I don't feel good at all. So she took me to the hospital. And that was the first time I was at the hospital. They kept me there for two days. And then while there, the, uh, there was a, a caseworker who was like, okay, we could get you on a program to start embro Mm-hmm. So I guess because Embril has her own program. Right. So I was like, okay, good. So they got me on that program and I started and but it wasn't working. Um, and then during this time, I was also going to school. I remember uh, I was, my first semester was really hard. It would take me like three times longer to walk to class. It, a five minute walk took me 15 minutes mm-hmm. because of how much pain I was and how slow I was walking. So the next semester, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do online classes. But at this point, it was to a point where I couldn't even sit for too long. So I would sit at my computer for like five to 10 minutes and I would have to lay down for like half an hour, get up, do five to 10 minutes and lay down again. Mm. So again, they took me to the hospital because at this point I was was probably like 80 pounds Mm. at 19 and hardly any hair. And my mom saw like, okay, there's something else going on. It's not just the rheumatoid arthritis. This time they kept me for two weeks. Um, They just did blood transfusion, monitored me and let me go. And then during this time also, I was going a lot to the doctors, to the emergency rooms. And they were just like, give me steroids Mm -hmm. and send me home. Mm -hmm. And they weren't really diagnosing me with anything until one day I remember, this was in July. My mom, I was sitting on the couch at this point. I couldn't do anything for myself. I couldn't shower by myself. I couldn't. Sometimes I couldn't eat. Someone had to feed me. So, um, and I was coughing a lot. I was having fevers in and out. I was down to fifty nine pounds now. Wow. So yeah. So my mom's like, "I I need to take you to the hospital." I was like, "I don't want to go." I was like, "I've been there so many times. They're not doing anything for me." She's like, "No, we have to go." So I was forced to go. And while there, I just thought they were going to do the same thing, right? You know, run tests and be home. But They ended up keeping me there for two months. Wow. Yeah. So um, I got into the hospital. They're like, she has pneumonia. She has a collapsed lung. She has a blood clot in her leg. She has another weird infection that we've never seen. We don't know how she got it. I think it was called cryptococcus. Mm -hmm. She's like, usually it's only like in like bat caves. She's been around like caves. I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I haven't left home in like a year. Like I've been in bed for a year, basically. And I had a, a bunch of other uh, symptoms, like my vision would come and go, like it would go black. And so they started on antibiotics and the fevers, they couldn't get them under control. Every day was a new a new diagnosis. One day was cancer. The next day I had HIV because of the transfusions that were given me could have been tainted. So, yes. So it, who every, figured every day it out? It was,
0: uh, who, who really yeah, got to the bottom so- of it?
1: Yeah, so I remember they took out a piece of my bone marrow to test it because they thought I had leukemia. Because it would give me blood transfusions, and then a couple of days later, I would need another one because mm. my blood, my hemoglobin was just really low. So then, um, I remember getting out of bed one time, and my 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 heart rate skyrocketed to like almost 200 beats per minute, and I couldn't breathe. And my sister sat me down. She said, I turned blue. The nurses rushed in because I had pneumonia that they couldn't get controlled. And then they're like, well, I couldn't breathe on my own at this time. And they had me on oxygen. They're like, we need to take her to ICU right now. So they took me to ICU. And then at ICU, um, I remember they would come and stick a tube down my mouth to kind of take everything out. Because there was a lot of stuff in here that I, I just couldn't breathe anymore on my own. And I remember the doctors came in one day and then he's all like, um, before this, they had already spoke to my family. They didn't tell me, but they had already told her, told them that I had only a couple of days to live mm. because they didn't see me making it past the weekend. And I knew when my mom came in that the, something was wrong right. because I could see it in her eyes. So, um, I was like, they came in and they were talking to me and then they said, um, we have one more thing to try, but there's a 50% chance it's not gonna work and it's gonna make you worse. And I think you know what that means. I was like, yes, I know what that means, but there's a 50% chance, chance it's gonna work. And then I said, okay, well, at this point, they right. had done so many things Nothing to me, lose. I just didn't care. Yeah, yeah, I was like, go ahead and try it.
0: And what and was like, that?
1: Okay. A very high dose of steroids right. and starting me on, on immunosuppressant.
0: Right, okay
1: so i was like okay just try it and so within two days i had no more fever
0: hmm.
1: after trying that so then after that i was able to breathe better and then they're like wow she's getting better <laughs> so i was in icu for two weeks and then they finally released me and they kept and all my system started to finally get better and better and better and then they finally came in the room okay we pieced everything together we found out we have you have rheumatoid arthritis for sure but you also have lupus and I, at that moment, I just cried because I was so relieved. I was like, they finally know what I, what's wrong with me. I know it was, I had heard of lupus and I had suspected it and I had told them, but they didn't really think it was that. But um, I was just relieved to have a a, a diagnosis. And
0: how long ago was, how, when was this?
1: I was, my census started at 18 and I went into the hospital when I was 19. I got out three days before my 20th birthday.
0: And that, that was well, like... Uh, and you're in your thirties now, right? So you're, this is like 10 yes. years ago, 12, 15 years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I will say that is one of the, uh, one of the scarier stories that we've, we've heard on this podcast And I, I, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of lupus stories in my, in my, whatever it is, 30 years, uh, working, uh, with lupus patients. But, uh, but that one, you know, that's pretty close to the edge there. And I, um, so what was it that kept you focused on getting better? Because it sounds like I could tell throughout your telling of the story that you really have a focus and an inner strength. And where, So where does that come from?
1: A lot of it has to do with, I think it was my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just look at them. And then my niece was just born during that time, too. And I couldn't really see them. Because I was so sick, they wouldn't let little kids come in, and I, sometimes I would sneak out to the hallway to see them when I was a little bit better. And I was just like, I need to see them grow up. And then, also for myself, I was like, I'm only 19. I have so much to do. I was like, I need to travel more. I need to go to school. I had so many plans that were cut short during those, uh, during this time. And then my friends would come visit me, and they would tell me what they were doing, and I was like. I can't do any of that stuff. And who knows if I, like, when I get better, if I'm even going to be able to do that stuff because I've been so sick for so long. And I wasn't, I was up to a point where I was in a wheelchair and I didn't know if I was going to walk anymore. But eventually I did. Because it took a whole year for me to get better after that.
0: And I, you know, I think, I think what's so frustrating to me is had you, had you been covered under a health insurance policy at that rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis around that time, I'm wondering, and there's no no way to prove this or anything, but I, you know, would you have gotten that lupus diagnosis sooner? And would that have made a huge difference in in and kept you out of that that gully?
1: Um, I think it would have at least not got me to that point. And I didn't get my health insurance till I was basically dying. The social workers really pushed for me to get it because also the hospital wanted to get paid because I was getting bills for millions of dollars because I was there for so long and they were pushing for me to get that the health insurance and they finally got it. So after that, I was able to get my medication and really like start getting better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's such a tough problem. I mean, hopefully it's better now than it was back then, but,
1: oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, hey, um, so, okay. I want to, I want to go into the school situation. Cause I think that's, You really kept your eye on the prize. But let me take a break. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to jump back into that when we get back. Uh, We're talking to Jacqueline Stewart, and we'll be right back. Lupus LA's fellowship program is an essential part of ensuring the training of future rheumatologists. The nation is experiencing a serious shortage of pediatric rheumatologists. Today, there are approximately 300,000 children diagnosed with rheumatic conditions in the United States, but only 250 practicing pediatric rheumatologists to meet this tremendous need. Visit our website at lupusla.org. Welcome back to the Your Story, Our Fight podcast from Lupus LA. We're talking to Jacqueline Stewart, and Jacqueline, we just heard you're really gut-wrenching, I don't even want to call it your diagnosis story, but your early lupus story. Um, And we were talking about school. So, So give me, let's start with the macro view. How many years did it take you to finish college?
1: I started at 19 and I did not graduate till last year, 2020. So it took me, what is that, 13, 12 13 years almost
0: wow and, and that's entirely due to health
1: bachelor's only
0: yeah and, but that's entirely due to your health challenges yeah yeah okay so what keeps you going for that many years 12 or 13 years focused and and, and how much of that was a part of your lupus mission you know, in other words, I have to get better because I have to finish school, like that kind of thing. Because I think that's, first of all, it's an incredible achievement. But tell me sort of what kept you, kept what kept your eye on the prize?
1: Okay, there's a couple things. So growing up, my parents really instilled in us that, like I said, my parents are Spanish, only Spanish speaking. And um, they weren't very in a very good financial position. So they were like the only way for you guys to get in a better financial position than us is to go to school. You guys need to get education to better your lives. So that was instilled in me pretty early on. So I was like, okay, I need to finish school and, and do this. And after my um, diagnosis, I um, I got into casework, and I was actually I, I was actually one of the caseworkers that approved medical. <laughs> Ah, so interesting yeah So approve
0: <laughs> approve 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 right? yeah. there you go yeah.
1: so uh, i i understood where these people were coming from but i was like i can do more than just help people mm-hmm. you know get approved from medical i could do more to spread awareness for lupus and people with chronic illnesses so uh, the first thing I, I i was thinking about going to school for was a lawyer so mm-hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer to help people. Yeah. And my last year of college, I ended up working at Special Collections and I was like, "This, I love this, I wanna work in archives. So <laughs> I was like, my idea. Uh-huh.
0: So, special, so tell, gonna- tell everybody what Special Collections is. Cause I had to ask when we talked before, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, so Special Collections is a, it's a special kind of library and they keep a lot of archives there. Um. The one I was working at was the one at college, so they kept a lot of like letters from like from people that lived in the community, things that went on in the school, things like that, and a lot of cool artifacts and some stuff dated back to like the 1400s. It was really cool. So, so, <laughs> so old documents
0: and historical documents, things like yes. that.
1: Yeah. So uh, my bachelor's was in history. So from that, I was planning to go to be a lawyer, but then I changed to uh, archives, and then. I was like, I want to be an archivist and eventually start a program where I'm going to give, what is the word? Not underprivileged, uh, but unheard voices, a chance to be heard, especially women with chronic illnesses, I said, because people really need to hear these stories. And um, a lot of times um, we get pushed aside, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we have
1: incredible stories to tell.
0: (laughs) I think it's, and I I... In the world of sort of modern social media and podcasts and all of that, I think the archivist approach that you're going to take to really go back and look at sort of the history and to preserve that history, uh, it's a very unique approach. I think that's really cool. And I think, so tell me, so as you're going through these years of school, what, what, what part of that helped you with your lupus? In other words, was it your lupus keeping you from school? Was it school sort of motivating you to be healthy? You know, where was where did those two meet?
1: I think it was a little both. Um, school during this time I was going I was working full time, so I could only do school at night. So I was only taking one or two classes. And but I, I met a lot of really cool people. And um, I did a lot of, try to do as much as I could and try to get my college years too. So it, it really did help me. Um, Cause you know, sometimes with this disease or you could feel a little isolated from people and stuff. And it really did help me mentally to just get out of the house and do something. Cause there was times where I was like, I don't feel like going to school but then when I was there, it was just so like, oh, I was so glad I came because I love learning. I love meeting other people. So it really did help me a lot.
0: And did you find, um, were you able to find kind of a support community within the lupus or autoimmune world that helped you?
1: At school? Um, or, or in general? No. no the, last, the last year of school, um, I actually quit my job and went full time. Mm-hmm. And I joined the they have a disability office at the, at the school. So I joined that and through there, I was able to find people that I had a mentor that she also had a disability and she, she helped me a lot with navigating the last, the last year of school. But that was the only thing I, I found.
0: So tell me, how does your lupus limit you now? You know, what, what are your um, sort of daily challenges?
1: I am tired a lot. A lot. Like I have no energy. I I really don't know if it's the lupus or the rheumatoid arthritis, because mm-hmm. you know how both of them kind of present the same symptoms as well as pain. But I do have a lot of pain a lot of the time, and uh, I for sure the the rheumatoid arthritis has damaged a lot of my joints. So I am not as flexible as most people, and I can't go on long walks either or do certain things. Like, uh, sometimes I can't open a bottle of water anymore, Mm -hmm. but my husband's there. (laughs) He helps me.
0: (laughs) I used to be a gymnast. uh, I was super flexible. And now, I mean, yeah, it's terrible.
1: So, yeah, so it's a challenge, but, um, I find ways to adjust and it's, it's fine. I still live my life to the fullest.
0: (laughs) And tell me, so I love talking relationships on this show, but I, uh, Maybe that's my true calling to be a relationship podcast host. I don't know. But tell me how you met your husband and how your lupus affected your early relationship.
1: Okay. I met my husband at a pool party where we went and we were the only ones without any swimming gear. So we just started talking. He didn't get my number. So (laughs) I didn't see him for another two weeks and he ended up showing up to my church and he was speaking. And I was like, that's the guy I was talking to. And then <laughs> we went outside and I started like, Hey, remember me? He's like, Oh yeah. And I introduced him to my twin sister. And I was like, this is my twin sister. And then he's like, he started laughing and he's all like, haha, that's not your twin. And I was like, no, I'm being serious. We don't right, look anything alike. Right. That's why. And then we exchanged numbers. And then, um, when we were dating, I didn't disclose what I, uh, my chronic illnesses. Cause I don't really disclose them right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, until I think it was like the third or fourth date that I told them. And, I remember early on, he would be like, oh, let's go rock climbing, doing all these. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can't. I'm kind of tired today. He's like, oh, okay, well, let's go to the mall and walk around. When I was at the mall, I was in a flare during that time. And right. I was we were walking around. I was like, can we sit down? He's like, oh, you, you need to sit down a lot. And I was like, "Yeah, I'm just tired. He's like, no, that's fine. And then finally, when I told him, he he didn't know what any of, any of those things were. He's like, what's that? Mm-hmm. And then I explained it to him. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, it makes sense now. (laughs) All that stuff makes sense (laughs) now. But he's been very supportive ever since the beginning. And
0: And were there challenges sort of, was there ever a point where he you kind of had to say, look, this is, this is what you get here. And, and, and the good, there's a lot of good with the bad, you know, but because I, you know, I always think that that's a, that's a sort of a turning point to, to see kind of, all right, are you in for the long haul here with with all of the things that come with lupus.
1: Yeah, um, I just sat him down and I told him my whole story and I was all like, that was before I got treatment, but you, you never know with this, with these kind of things that can eventually turn, like just make a 180 out on and over. So I talked to him about it and he was he was like, no, I." he just said, I love you and I'm here for you and I wanna be with you. And I was like, okay. So it's been- Excellent. Okay. 10 years now all over right. 10 years
0: <laughs> there you go that's fantastic so all right now interesting you brought up you had a twin sister does she have yeah. any rheumatology autoimmune issues because i know yes. there's there's a lot of studies on that um and it's sort of a fascinating because there are cases where one twin has nothing and the other twin has all of the auto you know it, it, i always find that very interesting so how is your sister
1: she was fine up until probably like three years ago. She was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and then the when she went to her rheumatologist, they we're fraternal twins, so mm-hmm. um, they told her just to keep a, uh, an eye on her symptoms because it could. Since I have lupus, hers could probably eventually turn into. She could eventually develop lupus as well. Mm-hmm. She had a twenty-five or fifty percent chance of developing right,
0: lupus as right. well. Okay, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm assuming her her diagnosis will be made much easier if that unfortunate event actually occurs because they know exactly
1: what what they're looking for.
0: So, um, so tell me what is, what's the future look like? How do you, uh, you know, how do you anticipate really turning this into, um, a positive story? I mean, I would love having you on this podcast and I think your story is going to inspire a lot of people, but tell me what's next for Jacqueline Stewart.
1: So I was talking about the archives thing and I had already developed an uh, Instagram page where people were sharing their stories on there and I was getting um, awareness out, but I started grad school, so I kind of had to put a pause to that and I was like, I, I want to be able to focus 100% on this and I wasn't giving it my all at that time. So I, I deactivated the page for a bit, but I'm planning to go back on that and then Excellent. I'm planning to finish grad school and hopefully with it. Uh, probably two years and you can
0: do it. I'm um, sure you can do it. No question.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're also and, a
0: photographer, right?
1: Yeah. I was going to mention that I'm planning to keep traveling and doing my photography. All
0: right. We're going to, we're going to put up a, you're going to send us a link to where we can uh, show people your photography. Cause it's, uh, okay, it's, uh, I, I think that's also really inspiring. And uh, do you, um, is photography a way for you to release some of your stress and anxiety and things of that nature? Cause that's, it does that for me a lot.
1: Yes, it, it is. I remember being in the hospital and when I was in ICU and I was, I was thinking to myself, I still have a lot to see in this world. I, I can't just go. So then uh, I remember I was always into photography, always had a disposable camera. And then the, the first year I was married, I asked my husband for a DSLR camera and then he gave it to me. And I was like, oh my gosh, now with this camera, we can travel even more and I'm going to be able to get more memories. And this started as me just trying to get more memories and, but then it turned into something else. I I started really loving it and I found that it really helped me a lot. Just like you said, it released all that anxiety and it was helping my mental health, just being outside, discovering new places. And yeah, there was times like, like, a long hike. I wish I could have got the view from the top, but I always told myself the view at the bottom is just as beautiful for me. So, um, yeah, so I've been just doing a lot of landscape and, um, wildlife photography because I love animals too. Yeah. So it brings me a lot of joy doing all that stuff. (laughs)
0: That's fantastic. Listen, I, I, your story really, uh, has impressed me. And I think, um, I love what you just said about the view from the bottom and the view from the top. And, um, I can tell you right now, we know you're headed to the top, whether you, whether you like it or not. And um, I really appreciate you joining the podcast. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It was so much fun.
0: <laughs> On behalf of the entire team at Lupus LA, we thank you for joining the Your Story, Our Fight podcast. Please tune in, spread the word, and come back for more inspiring lupus stories. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, wishing you good health and to always remember your story is our fight.